Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Tonight, with the world engulfed in the COVID-19 epidemic, we will be taking you around to see how some countries are dealing with the outbreak. This episode will take you from China to Australia and to various places across the United States, as well as Canada, to see how governments and people are responding. and thanks for having me here. Um, I live in Sydney, uh, Australia. Hello, my name is Reggie Truman. I am the producer of the Marxist Think Tank podcast. I am currently living in Canada, um, outside the city of Ottawa, to put it in the general area. This is Brad from Windsor, Ontario, Canada. I'm a member of New Resistance North America. Hi, this is Sean Sanchez from Seattle, Washington. Um, Seattle, Washington is a part of uh, King County, which is the second uh, most affected part of this region that I'm in. Uh, the first would be Snohomish County. Um, where the outbreak started, uh, I think, in the United States. But, uh, uh, hello, uh, my name is Jen Wei. Uh, I currently reside in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, in the University of Cincinnati. Hey, man, this is Asambe Briggs. Um, so I live in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is very close to New York, and I still work in New York. Uh, and what, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today, U.S. tumbled, much like they did during the SARS outbreak in 2003. The CDC says the immediate health risk here in the U.S. is low, but there are conflicting interpretations from health officials as to how contagious this virus is. Over the weekend, China's health minister said people can spread the virus before they become symptomatic. Today, the CDC said it's found no evidence of that. Sure. In the country, in my state, it's about 250, I think. There are 150 new coronavirus infections in New South Wales reported, taking the state's total to around 2,200. Quite low, but it did, you know, gather from there. And where I live in Sydney is actually a very Asian area. There was a very um, early arrival for the virus here. The first three cases were in my suburb. Um, all people who'd returned from China. You know, it's strange, though, because we've had a long time in the sense that the first cases came in January. Um, and we knew they were coming anyway because of the horrible experiences in China managing the outbreak. I suppose from that point of view, it was seen as a, a foreign thing, um, that people came with it from other places, brought it to Australia. But we've got person-to-person um, -person transfer now, and that's less the case. And it's only As now... This, we have just topped around 100... 1,100 deaths here in Canada. So as of this morning, we have a total of 1,706 confirmed cases of COVID-19 reported in Ontario, 23 cases who unfortunately have passed away. Around 15 deaths uh, resulting as of this. Uh, we are ready to brace for the full-on impact of the coronavirus outbreak. And basically, uh, because uh, Canada is a very big country, of course, the 
uh, cases are extremely spread out and there's large tracts of rural area that may not even see a case. But of course, we also have a large group of uh, tourists and travelers traveling abroad because here in Canada, it gets extremely chilly. People want to go to warmer places and now they are coming back. And unfortunately, some of those tourists are bringing the virus with them. Here in um, Canada, currently in um, Windsor, there's been 238 tests performed. There's 148 tests that have been pending for several days now, um, and zero cases. But there's stories of people being turned away who have all the symptoms that aren't being tested. It's trailing behind us uh, by Ontario 60 West deaths, Canada. so we're at 94 right now. The Washington State Department of Health says they have confirmed 4,300 coronavirus cases, 189 deaths tied to the virus. The infection uh, around a week ago, um, even though the official number from the CDC is only in a few dozens in the state of Ohio, the... Uh, Governor Mike Doing uh, on Fox News famously said uh, it's gonna it's already around 100,000 infected potentially. Um, we with, have uh, you know, 39 deaths in Ohio, and we are now at over 1,900 cases. It's the the credibility of the statement even more, right? Uh, the so Jersey has a lot of cases, but of course, as you know, a lot of people don't have health insurance. We have a lot of immigrants, they're scared to go to the doctor. We have, you know, there's so many people sleeping outside on the train and on the street. There's just, I mean, those basic three That's reasons and probably hours, like five or six more, a lot of people haven't even been tested yet. So, positive you know, test we don't results. Know. So our statewide count stands at 18,696. Since yesterday, another 69 residents have died. And that total now stands at 267. Yeah, there's like a hundred, there's 104 cases in Arizona. I looked it up. 31st, and this is your update. There are 1,289 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Arizona and 24 deaths. In Maricopa County. Of COVID-19 in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, in, in the sick case of Arizona. I mean, yeah, we sick. We sick over here, too. Whatever happens, we're totally prepared. We have the best people in the world. Uh, you see that from the study. Uh, we have the best prepared people, the best people in the world. Congress is willing to give us much more than we're even asking for. That's nice for a change. Uh, but we are uh, totally ready, willing, and able. It has been very little meaningful action from the government. Everybody just sat back and did nothing. They did, as far as I can see, there's been no preparations whatsoever. Um, it's, they're making it up as they go along. Um, just bluffing. Um, the other thing to remember is we've just come through the bushfires. So I think a lot of the focus was on the bushfires and recovering from them. And it's only now <laughs> that the uh, government has actually stopped the planes. They're supposed to have stopped the boats a while ago, which they never did either. And now they've stopped the planes. Um, yeah, unless you've got an Australian passport, you don't get into Australia anymore. I think. You know, it's strange though because we've had a long time in the sense that the first cases came in January um, and we knew they were coming anyway because of the experiences in China managing the outbreak. We knew it was going to come and everybody just sat back and did nothing. As far as I can see, there's been no preparations whatsoever. Uh, we have been pretty much doing what a lot of Western capitalist countries have been doing. 
putting together huge stimulus packages that uh, really do favor businesses and keeping businesses afloat. Um, employment insurance uh, has been ramped up. Apparently, there's been something like 500,000 uh, applications for EI, where normally there would be only probably like 50,000 in people really do need this employment insurance because Canada, of course, like a lot of other Western nations, is uh, very much service industry orientated and those people are getting uh, hit the hardest. And because, of course, like the United States, wages are stagnating. So essentially what's happening is that people are going to get real poor real fast. And of course, the government is there to help us out. Our safety nets are especially stronger than uh, some nations, especially our neighbors to the south. But again, uh, the economic impact is going to be very huge. And on top of that, there was a huge tanking of oil prices. And essentially what's going to happen is that uh, there's going to be a huge debate over who it needs to get bailed out the most. Here in the province of Ontario, where I'm living, we are under a partial lockdown. Uh, a lot of people are of the mind that people can modulate themselves. And for the most part, people are taking this seriously, especially in the rural community where I'm in, where you know we actually are practicing social distancing, grocery stores and liquor stores are really helping, um, you know, enforce that to make sure that people stay as well for as long as possible, which is what is needed because, you know, we do need to stay as long, well for as long as possible until a vaccine is developed, uh, which the Canadians have really done a really good job with. We're one of the countries that is leading the vaccine along with, you know, socialist nations like China, Cuba, the whole shebang. Uh, Governor Inslee is asking people to stay home. But of course, only people that can afford to do so uh, will. So this is sort of a self-selecting uh, as an option to people that have options, obviously. Um, it's been bad. Uh, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWayne, has, is actually uh, um, responding to this quite well, surprisingly, even though he is a Republican. Even though the mainstream narrative by the Republic Republicans and conservatives over the past few weeks has been one of just complete denial in any way, shape, or form possible, uh, anywhere from, oh, it's not that bad, to a full-on conspiracy theory. Um, so... As of right now, of course, um, since last week, uh, schools are closing down, restaurants are resorting to takeouts only, bars are uh, stopped. 8 p.m. curfew. Uh, I haven't really seen it enforced. And no, you know, no police officer has like stopped me to ask me where I'm going. Everything is kind of normal. Um, New York has a complete lockdown. So if you're not an essential worker, the New York police, they will ask you, you know, dude, where are you going? But other than that, they're not really like chasing yeah, people down. All of us have to recognize for the next several weeks, Normal is not in our game plan. And I will be announcing both mandatory uh, rules in this regard and a request for... Um, the people themselves, like in my suburb when it first happened, it became deserted. Um, you could go down there, drive through, get a park anywhere you wanted. Half of the shops were closed um, because these people were had, you know... Family in China, they know what to do, the isolation, it all just sort of kicked in, in the suburb. Um, but I didn't see any of that outside the suburb. I think there might have been the same thing happening in other Asian suburbs, as I understand. It has been be more of a local reaction than a, a statewide one. And um, 
It seems to be a bit more lively now. It seems like they've gone gone through that stage where it's funny because the rest of Sydney now has gone crazy. <laughs> Not necessarily panic per se, but we've seen stuff that has been around uh, the world, uh, especially what's happening in Italy, where their death toll has now surpassed China's. So it has been a grim wake-up call for a lot of people, and the government is definitely putting this forward. And the idea is that there's a lot of government representatives basically saying that they don't want to take away civil liberties, but if people are responsible, we can go uh, have a little bit of a normalcy in life. And I think that people are taking that to heart for the most part. Obviously, there are idiots. And of course, the uh, individualist capitalist mindset is extremely strong, especially here in Canada, uh, that, you know, the government can't tell me what to do. But I think that the reality of the situation uh, is overturning some denialism that those people would have. Um, I still go to the grocery store myself. there are people working there without masks, um, some without gloves. Um, I wear a glove when I go out. I try to keep a uh, distance, but uh, people are looking at me strange. <laughs> uh, and if we're going to follow the tra- trajectory of Italy to some extent, then um, unfortunately they're not going to think I'm crazy for too long. We're talking about different demographics here, right? So the uh, these different measures are reacted differently, uh, if that makes sense. Um, the closing of the bars are taken upon quite negatively because, obviously. But uh, for the most part, people are actually for all these kind of uh, quarantine measures. Uh, as far as us um, in school... Um, Everyone is uh, moving online away from campus. The dorms are closed in, on campus with very short notice, which is a quite a big problem, in fact. Um, but the like people are just moving out of houses around campus. Uh, all the apartments are all have their for rent signs up, uh, abandoned furnitures uh, on front porches, etc., etc. Uh, the housing companies uh, that I'm uh, renting from uh, refuses to shorten the contract. We have to sublease to other people. Many people are choosing to like just do anything possible to get the apartment off of their hands and off into the hands of somebody else. They're willing to pay half the rent for whoever takes over the apartment for them. So the majority of my friends are working class and you know it, it ranges I, everything from like conspiracy theories the illuminati this and that and then i got people who are just like whatever it's just another day you know let's go get something to drink let's get fucked up and some people are like yo it's the end of the world let's get fucked up it seems like it seems like everyone is just like panicked but at the same time everyone i know is like this is a perfect time to get drunk so the general response i get from the people around me the people closest to me is like Look, this might not be the end of the world, but just in case it is, let's get fucked up. That's basically it. I'll tell you what, I'm not a... I, I could give a fuck. I, I just don't care. I, I can't. I'm not worried about any of that. Like, that's not... That's not happening to me. 
During uncertain times, some of the things that we can do to help ourselves is create a routine. A lot of us are home from work, home from school. Our typical routines are all kind of wobbly and up in the air. One of the things that I think is very psychologically and emotionally satisfying is to take a look at our routine. It's changed. But um, there's been nothing as um, vigilant is what I hear is happening in China. Honestly, personally, uh, I work in media and I work in a small town. And if you work in media in a small town, there's not a lot of people that you share your space with. Fact of the matter is, though, is that the bar that I usually go to has shut down. So, you know, the social impact has kind of been limiting. But at the same time, I mean, you know, basically not a lot has really changed. And I've really only interacted with a handful of people uh, by the time this started getting started. My situation is being at home with my girlfriend because of work shutdown. Uh, we're avoiding going out, uh, mostly uh, only going out for groceries, uh, but we're not hoarding. I cook around like three in the morning or even 12 at night sometimes. Uh, and I just try to like not see anybody. My room, I have a whole different uh, set of clothes that I wear inside my my room by itself and then I have clothes that I wear that I go outside with um, that might be on the you know this is a OCD person's uh, and germaphobes uh, time to thrive so that's just me just showing off but at this point I don't think you know, any precautions I, I, I spent silly. a lot of time uh, in St. Croix as a kid as, uh, you know, so uh, you know the things that people take for granted in the first world are still amazing to me to this day like you don't know, man. For, for someone from the island, like the fact that you guys have train systems, <laughs> bro, it blows my like it's a, it's it's a fucking blessing. So it's like the train and the buses are still operating at at a really reasonable pace. So actually, my commute is exactly the same, completely unaffected. I don't think things are that different for me. I still get up every day. I still go to work. Well, I guess I work a lot more now. Um, there we were all at work, Still. and I was in here alone. That was that was a lot safer for me. Now that it's now it's safer for them. It endangers me. No respect, I tell you. Chalora around seven o'clock this morning when three women became involved in a toilet paper tussle. I just want one pack. No, not one pack. Yeah, it's one pack. Stop. Uh, I've seen a lot of supermarkets struggling. Uh, but, but we're not hoarding, um, which is definitely happening here. Um, people are, have been panic buying in the North End and Northgate at least. I actually just came from one. There's essentially a line <laughs> it looks like a bread line that they that they say the you know have implemented a, every morning between seven and eight or the first hour is for people who are like pensioners and people who are last week there was nothing like I went to Sea Town that's the closest supermarket to me and I mean you you, you had to look like you had to bend down and look in the back of every shelf to try and find I something. stocked up a little bit for myself I didn't stock up much at all I wasn't part of the panic buying, but I, I knew to grab it before it uh, was emptied off of shelves. Um, you can, they, everything's stocked overnight and everything's there, mm. but it goes. Anyone who's buying like 
50 packs of something like chill you gotta you gotta you know you could come you could buy 15 if you don't want to keep coming back every week you could buy 20 but no you can't be buying issues or anything like that no I definitely someone put a knife out because they were fighting over toilet paper Weird. like uh, people are hoarding so, uh, like paper towel or toilet paper people are buying uh, a lot of toilet paper toilet paper is out at costco you folks know the toilet paper shortage that occasionally comes on because companies and governments are not really willing to put item limits on uh, certain things and they're just letting the market decide well the market of course has seen some shortages of course of toilet paper um, you know, this, this whole toilet paper thing you know hoarding of the toilet paper and things like that well that is of no sort of practical use to anyone with coronavirus. Um, this mm -hmm. country has people hoarding houses and not a thing is done about that because that, you know, for the market and it's profitable and it, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for the majority. Just even getting decent accommodation is, is next to impossible. And yet there's a lot of empty places. But, but um, more importantly, people are hoarding um, all the... Uh, I, I stocked up a little bit on uh, pasta, pasta sauce, etc. I've seen, though, uh, is uh, pasta and... All oh, the pasta, all the... No pasta and basically no pasta. Grocery store, all the meat. Very little meat. And um, meat and bread, which is kind of irritating unless you're a vegetarian costco rice is out at costco which is just insane like, um, uh, flour and sugar and grains and all the bread a lot of water it looks like it's gone and still find a few tin tomatoes or something so the rationing is in full effect i mean if anything you that it goes on sale in a store and is non-perishable chances are that that thing will not be completely sold out but the stocks will be limited and i think that actually kind of shows that people are taking this seriously because they i think gloves as well um, masks and all the cleaning supplies lysol wipes all that stuff even two totally weeks gone. before that um my friends and i were going like shopping for cleaning supplies and those were out for about two weeks now uh in that regard uh pure i don't think there's enough tests yes, but they actually don't have enough test kits so it's only if you're very likely have come in contact with it even if, even if you can get a test it's expensive yeah a lot of the medicines and baby stuff gone I, they couldn't get intravenous antibiotics for me and I found that a bit kind of like, what? This is a really basic, um, a basic thing. Insulin's still expensive. You have water to wash your hands when you eat your sandwiches? I leave it in your hands, guys. You guys decide what you want to do. I give you the information. Look, um, yes, um, people who've worked for Qantas, they're not able to come into work. Um, uh, a lot of casual sort of uh, retail office type people because the shops are laying people off. They're just not sure what's going on. Um, so if you're, it's very precarious at the best of times and it's just really pushed and it's going to push a lot more people off the edge. My employer has been very, very good 
extremely good. Um, we are considered an essential service because, you know, despite what some Trumpkins and conspiracy theorists might tell you, people get their information from us. I mean, we are the people who are vetting sources who are going through and making sure that the facts of the matter are actually presented and we will not feed the rumor mill. At least that's the stance my company has taken. So we are providing an essential service of just information. We are going to be the people who basically tells them when it's safe to go outside, when to stay inside, the news that is happening, how their lives are changing. And my employer understands this and they've been very, very understanding. And of course, everyone here is salaried, which I really wish that a lot of other companies would do for their employees because, I mean, there was a reason why the economy is going to collapse. It's because you've now told workers who are living paycheck to paycheck that they can't work. And so my company has had a very level reaction to it, one that I really wish that other people uh, would take with their companies as well. I kind of have the option to work from home, but again, because I'm in media, media is very tech-based, and so there's some technology uh, I don't have of, actually uh, access to. Of course, uh, CBS is refusing to lay my friends off of work. But... Um, Everywhere else, people have been out of work, and especially around the university, a lot of artists and musicians are uh, uh, soon to be starving, quite literally. They're putting together some mutual aid stuff, but um, that's only going to help so much, help alleviate so much. I am actually the front desk and the engineer in a hotel that functions as a homeless shelter. And basically, to make a long story short, New York City had such a big problem with homelessness and the shelters in New York were so dangerous. And that's not the city's fault. It's actually just regular people. Like, you'd be surprised. Like, regular working class people, they're, they're, nigga, they're fucking rough. You know what I'm saying? Excuse my French. Niggas are rough. So they started this thing where if you're in a certain tier of homelessness, which is basically if you're a woman or if you have a child, they're not going to put you in a regular kind of dangerous shelter. They actually have contracts with four-star and five-star hotels, and you stay there until they get you Section 8 or until they get you back on your feet. So that's where I work. I'm the concierge, not concierge. I'm the front desk, and I'm the engineer. When we were a normal hotel, I was the concierge. My boss, he got a little mad. Is everybody getting what they need to be protected and protect the rest of the staff and the other patients? No, that's not what's happening. Are you risking your job to speak out about this? Absolutely. I have nothing to lose but my life. And I don't know later on who's going to be the next victim. So why do I care about a job if I don't know I'm even going to make it? The virus here, the first three cases were in my suburb, um, all people who'd returned from China. I suppose from that point of view, it was seen as a a foreign thing, um, that people came with it from there other places. people who have had symptoms, and they're very strong symptoms of the coronavirus and COVID-19, and basically they are... Um, well, they're concerned, and I haven't heard of anyone who's necessarily died yet. In fact, in the city of Ottawa and in Toronto, uh, very few people have died. I think in the province itself of Ontario, there's only been two deaths, which is so far very good. But as I said, I mean, we're following the same trajectory as Italy, and we have an aging population as well, and there is concern about that. But there have been people who've been showing that kind of um, 
that kind of stuff. And it's just as it is scary, but people again are taking it uh, day at a time and really practicing. I have two jobs and he worked at my second job and he called out sick for a few days. He, he got tested and he's positive. So he's a young guy. He's like 29. And um, he was just basically saying it's like having the flu, but at the same time, he can't breathe. So, you know what I'm saying? So he has the, he has like extreme flu symptoms plus extreme shortage of breath. Um, but the way he's describing it and the way he's feeling, he's like, look, I'm not going to die, but I, I'm not coming to work for any reason. Like I'm not leaving my bed for anything. So, um, he's also, uh, a, he smokes marijuana. He's a smoker. And he was basically, he was joking with me that like, yo, he can't even smoke because he can't, he can't hold in a breath long enough to like take the smoke in and blow it out properly. So he's literally just sitting at home watching anime. So, yep. Three people have just been reported of dying of coronavirus, and this is mid-February, I think. And I knew with all the different people living in our house that we were at a higher risk than most households. So I just began scrubbing everything down washing and disinfecting everything that I could imagine people touching or sneezing or coughing on. Um, I went to go sit down for a few minutes. My uh, other roommate was, just went into the kitchen to start cooking and we heard this loud bang and crash from one of the rooms. Our other roommate came running out of his room and into the bathroom. And then from the bathroom, he just burst out of the bathroom and collapsed onto the floor. He looked Hell white, and we know he drinks. He's a heavy drinker, but he's never, never caused much ruckus at all. So it, it was really strange, and obviously he was sick. We just ended up calling the uh, paramedics. When they showed up, he was not responsive. Um, so they immediately put him on a respirator. Yeah, they were playing ping pong with his pulse, and um, you know they'd time it out in between um, attempts at resuscitating him. And uh, if that, that pulse was too weak, then they would just let him go. And so he died in the middle of the living room that night. He was, uh, I think, around 46 years old. I can't remember at this moment. Um, a white male, overweight, but, you know, not too healthy. But, you know, he, he wasn't, didn't seem like he was a hard uh, drug user. I don't know of any uh, underlying health problems that he even if he was sick he, he seems to be the type of person to never uh go to a doctor and uh he never calls in sick for work i used to work with him for a while hey, he'd show up even if he was sick um whether his death was coronavirus related or not isn't something we're going to know uh the hospital isn't running post-mortems on people or at least at that time they weren't running post-mortems on people for the virus, so we can only know it to be, um, at this point, a pulmonary aneurysm, or I guess a heart attack. And this is their new hoax. But you know, we did something that's been pretty amazing. We're 15 people in this it's massive just that country. We've seen this so many times the when they um, say that there's some, some pandemic is coming or some tragedy is coming and then it never happens. So can we design a ventilator such simple that could be made anywhere in the world locked. So that's the product Ventilate, which is an open source ventilator. 
and request for the. There are people who, um, you know, are kind of neighbourly type people anyway, who take it upon themselves to see how everybody's going. There's also groups like um, post your you know, for sale things or looking for job and um, local sort of stuff. But um, And they've got um, a means where you can check in with your neighbour and see if everybody's okay and make yourself available if you're available to help, you know, maybe walk someone's dog or water their garden or run their errands or something like that. And it's kind of good because, you know, it's the internet, you know, possible these days to do that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, and there's not a lot because people move in and out of the suburbs so much it's kind of don't always know your neighbours like he used to do in the old days. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so yeah, it's a means to keep in touch with your people who might need a bit of help to get through isolation. Uh, but the school, the high school system, maybe the primary school system is still, has been open this week. But I think there's, yeah, there's definitely a push for parents to, to not have to send their kids in. People are just not sending their kids anyway. You don't want to. I mean, they're just <laughs> the parents. You don't, you know, necessarily follow rules, at least in early here. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of people keeping keeping them home, and a lot of people want to do lessons online, like you know, geography teachers and science teachers and what have you, who are trying to help out as well by offering to help, you know, run a lesson here and there to for the par- uh, for the parent kids. Um, I mentioned before, a lot of people are basically lessons. just, you know. Practice your social distancing. Make it so that we don't have to uh, go, you know, go farther down the rabbit hole of what this means. That you know, the quarantine for the most part it is voluntary, in the broadest sense of the word. We're not under complete and utter lockdown, uh, but there are some state of emergencies and shutdowns, and people basically are trying to be as responsible as possible. Um, churches here are shutting down, in fact, which is interesting because in, in other countries, of course, there are churches who are defying the order because they say, oh, it's the, the the voice of God told them otherwise, as we saw with Hobby Lobby actually quite recently. But what ended up happening here in Canada is that churches are really taking it to heart, that they realize that they play an important role, especially in rural areas, and of course, venues and, and bars and restaurants. So people are really taking the government to heart because we uh, there seems to be a big realization that the longer that we go on not doing this, the longer we'll have to be in quarantine. Most so that's really kind of heartening in that sense. Basically a hoax. Uh, they're, walk, they're walking around as though nothing is happening for the most part. Only, only the paranoid and the OCD, like I said, are really responding to this, uh, probably in a measured and um, rational, responsible way. But we look ridiculous to most people, you know? I think um, everything's a mess right now. I mean, I don't think people are listening. Uh, people are still having parties, still going out. Bars are closed. People tend to be uh, ignorant about it. People don't understand the situation or they think it's not as serious as it's being made out to be. But there are some people who are freaking out. Um, So I'd say it's probably the same here as it is in the rest of North America, except for it's a small a small city, so there's not uh, if, if, much if, going on. If people's reactions on Facebook is is indicative of how they actually feel. Then I'll say that that trend is true. That the older people are more cautious of this thing, and the younger people, as they should, 
likewise, if the younger people are cool, they're going to, you know, leave, be careful for the older people because just because, just because the virus doesn't affect you in a deadly way. But the, you know, the older you are, I think the more, more anxious you'd feel about a lot of these uh, diseases sweeping through. Um, it's right now, as I said, Italy is the horror story of what's going to happen to some first world Western countries. If forgive me for using the term first world, but Western countries in general. And I think that with the the devastation that has happened in that country that is one that is fairly, you know, close to home for lack of a better word. Uh, people are getting serious about this and they're starting to really take it into account. I've had people who come back from trips and even if they are not in places that are hard hit, they're quarantining immediately. You know, once they get off, there's people who are saying leave groceries for people who are away on trips and leave them a car for them so that they can just, you know, disinfect that car whenever there's everything said and done. So it's a very communal thing. And I think that, you know, in Canada, we aren't as, you know, gung-ho on the individualistic kind of thing that the United States has been. And on top of that, I believe that, yes, for the most part, Canadians and Americans are very much the same, but we seem to have grasped the idea of social responsibility a little bit more, as well as the whole communal feeling, because community is the bedrock of what a lot of these responses are going to be. And I really think that, you know, that will continue as much. What that's going to be whenever the infection rate starts skyrocketing, the death roll, uh, rate starts skyrocketing as well, uh, that remains to be seen. And I really think that, you know, we may not be as gung-ho or as, uh, as horrid as Italy was, but at the same time, the warning is still there. The warning is here. And we really just have to sit at home and watch what happens and hope that our loved ones and There's an information bubble, um, depending on, 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 the, on the city, state, national, and uh, world news uh, level. There's different um, interpretations at each of those levels. And I feel like there's a lot of, it's a maze of information that you have to kind of think your way through. Uh, and the starting point seems obvious in some ways um, that maybe you know, there's a control of information to the stock market afloat and uh, to, to control the supply chains. So you have to start thinking back from there towards how that will affect you. And those are the priorities. I am not a priority. The citizens are not a priority. Uh, yeah, it's, good. it's not a good situation. If you do not have these symptoms, you do not have to wear masks. It's very different in China where lots of people are wearing masks and in fact they've been instructed to do so. And the reason for that is that there is so much of the virus around. The coronavirus family are airborne virus. On the whole, it's not really a sensible precaution to wear a mask. I have my own N95 mask. I told my manager I understand we're short on supplies, but let me protect myself. Let me feel safe. I have family that I have to come home to. Nurses are not being protected. 
make some people feel better to have them. The CDC says wearing a face mask to protect yourself from this new coronavirus is actually not recommended. It is unnecessary. As we said, uh, in the United States, the risk to any individual American is extremely low. Because there's not much evidence that face masks benefit the general population. So wearing a mask when you don't have symptoms is, is not really that helpful. Senior Trump administration official telling NBC News new guidance is coming soon to wear cloth masks to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Given the fact that we know that asymptomatic people are clearly transmitting infection, it just makes common sense that it's not a bad idea. Now, Paul Cockshot, he is a major member here at the Marxist Think Tank. He has written an article about uh, the uh, current crisis called Crisis and Social Advance. Talks a lot about the response, especially in UK, where he is based out of. We have a link down below in the description, and uh, it's a very good read. Gave it a little bit of a read before uh, I came on to here. I just highly suggest it. Keep on reading it. Make sure that you practice social difference distancing and wash your goddamn hands. I really cannot stress that enough. And that's pretty much it for me. At this point, I wonder maybe action's better than inaction, but also, you know, how does any of this get spun as PR to just to hold citizens responsible for things that they shouldn't have to take responsibility for? Go to work every day for people that are in charge to take care of these things, and yet... Um, it seems more like management in the United States is more about deferral of responsibility and giving that responsibility to individuals that take the burden of the cost while other people can extract uh, more money for themselves. And that seems to be the way things are stacked up in our country. And uh, that, that doesn't give people a lot of faith uh, when they have to think that all think men are created equal. Um, I don't know. It's it's a mess. But anyway, this is a great idea because when this whole thing is over, you know, it's not going. There's going to be a lot of like, you know, official what happened officially kind of things that people are supposed to believe. But I think for the sake of history. There should be multiple accounts. Everyone should be writing down what's happening. Because who knows? We don't. It's not like everyone's supposed to believe. I think that generally summarizes the situation. And even according to the most generous estimates, things are only going to get worse when we are uh, for quite a while. And we're only in the beginnings of it. Uh, thank you. Have a good day. That is it for our podcast this week. We have received coronavirus reports from all over the world. If you want to update us on what it's like where you are, please send in a voice note or contact us so that we can include you. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon so that we can remain independent. A link is below in the description. To volunteer or to submit a news tip, email admin at marxistthinktank.org or find us on Facebook. A special thanks to Sean Sanchez for music. This podcast has been produced by Reggie Truman, and I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening. <laughs>